and welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I'm your host, Kitty Waters, serial entrepreneur and co-creator of the Network for Transformational Leaders. Each week, I interview top thought leaders that are changing the world. They share their life stories on tips on how you can find your purpose. We all have a gift we can bring to the world. Do you feel dead to life? Like there's more to it, but you don't know where to start. Perhaps you don't fit in and you can't understand why. Are you pushing all the time and getting nowhere? Do you long to finally be sure which is the right path for you? This podcast is sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. This eight-week online course, self-study, shows you how to find your purpose. The course demystifies the subject of Dharma and shows you that by following your highest excitement, you can unlock your greatest potential and create the life of your dreams. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma. Without further ado, let's dive into the next episode. week's episode is Monica Burke. She's a spiritual teacher. She's the chief communication officer of the Kabbalah Center in New York. And she's also the author of a book, Fear is Not an Option. And for me, this is a fascinating interview because she studied Kabbalah. And she talks a lot in the interview about the Kabbalah and the impact it's actually had on her life. So you'll hear a lot of similarities in this interview to the Vedic texts and Dharma. And her her theme is that change is necessary to be better. And I totally agree with that. You know, we can't, we have to evolve. We have to continually evolve and we have to overcome our fear to become the people that we need to be to do our dharma. So I know this episode is going to inspire you. I'd love your feedback. So without further ado, listen in to Monica Burke. So hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. And today's guest, when I was researching her, I knew she had to come on the podcast. She's got an incredible message, an incredible story, which you're about to hear. Monica Berg is joining us today. She's a spiritual teacher. She is the chief communications officer of the Kabbalah Center in New York. And I'm Can't wait to hear more about that. And she's also the author of Fear is Not an Option. So, Monica, welcome to Kitty Talks. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Yes. I am really excited because when I was researching you, I couldn't find huge amounts about your story. So just for our listeners, would you mind kind of telling our listeners who you are and what you're currently doing in the world? And then we'll dig into your juicy transformational journey. Absolutely. Um, so I am an author, and it's not even in this specific order, uh, a lecturer um, and a self-proclaimed change junkie. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and everything 
everything that I do is informed by my many years of studying Kabbalah. And, um, and also I draw heavily on my own personal life experiences. And I'm also a mother, a wife, a sister, a friend, a mentor. Um, and uh, I just try to do things that will impact the lives of other people for the, for the best and to help really affect great change in the world. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And take us back. So um, can you tell me a little bit about your story? Are you born and raised in New York? Actually, I was born in Thibodeau, Louisiana, <laughs> very small town. I lived in New Orleans until I was eight. And um, I had, you know, an amazing childhood in the South. It was, uh, I don't know, it was pretty perfect. Very happy memories there. Then we moved to Beverly Hills. Mm. Um, and that informed a lot of my kind of life decisions. And I guess in a, in a way brought me to where I am. Um, it wasn't the easiest to live there. And then we moved to New York five years ago. I uprooted my entire family, uh, four kids, and the baby was three months old. So I had my oldest children um, all in different schools. And, you know, it was it was a big adjustment. But I'm really happy to be here now. Fantastic. And talk to me about your transformational journey. Like, when did you first start studying the Kabbalah? I started studying when I was 17, actually. And mm-hmm. I feel so fortunate and blessed that I stumbled upon that wisdom at that age Mm. um then i can go into that whole story but i feel like uh i was already tired at age 17. i felt like growing up in beverly hills going to beverly hills high school Mm. i mean they even made a tv show oh it was 90210 it was that that high school wow yes um and you know i grew up seeing um tremendous wealth tremendous excess my father was a millionaire, but then he also lost all of his money. So I saw that if you, if that is your ultimate currency to be successful in the material world, mm-hmm. um, that's never going to be enough. Even if you don't lose it, it's just never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And I saw the people around me, you know, chasing um, to go, you know, to the best schools so they could get the best jobs, so they could buy the biggest house and drive the flashiest car and have the best husband or wife with the white picket fence. And I just, I remember just looking around thinking, this just can't be it. I mean, there has to be more to life. And at that young age, um, again, growing up with having abundance and having safety and having a really nice life Mm. in New Orleans, then to come to LA, see people living the way that we did, but seeing my father lose everything in front of my eyes, um, and, and really struggle, it, it really kind of shook me. And I just thought, you know, um, if this is it, I'm, I'm really, I'm done. Like there's not a lot to do mm. in this world. Mm. So, um, so I felt a lot of lack at the time, but again, I, I didn't have the answers in my home and I was young. So I, I hadn't really been searching for this, for any kind of spirituality, but my parents had started studying Kabbalah kind of as an intellectual study because in any kind of wisdom, you can either really internalize it and it can change you and impact you in, in, a, in a really profound kind of mm. deep life changing and altering way, or it can just be a kind of a study. And, and for them at the time anyway, that's what it was. Um, but they had been so concerned about me um, because I, I, you know, I always define myself at that time as being 
responsibly reckless. You know, I, I'll try anything, but I, I know my boundaries. Um, so they were worried about me, as as we all do worry about our teenagers. Um, having three in the house, I can attest to that. So I went to the Kabbalah Center, and mm-hmm. um, we actually took a trip to Israel, and we went to all of these different spiritual sites. And I felt, for the first time in my life, like I had been there. I felt you can call it deja vu, but mm-hmm. these things that I was seeing and concepts I was hearing and the idea of reincarnation, for instance, everything felt familiar to me and I felt like I had come home. Beautiful. So, yeah. Fantastic. And was it kind of, obviously by the sounds of things, you were really drawn to it and it was something that really excited you and that you wanted to study and learn more of. And then how did it evolve, the, the studying I mean, more than that, it created a sense of, um, it was like a blueprint for me of what life is, and it created a sense of purpose in a way, and really just meaning. Like, I, for the first time, I felt like I understood the meaning of life, and I understood what my place in it could be, right? I mean, yeah. the work to do it would be up to me, but I just felt like I had arrived. So that was the beginning. And then, you know, I was still in high school. I got distracted once again. Um, and then by 18, I was really studying, uh, you know, very seriously. I was still going to school and I was working, but it really kind of became the, um, the direction for my life's work. And I decided that I wanted to be a being of sharing and, you know, but I think that I, some people at a very, very young age, you know, five, six, they, you know, I want to be a pianist. I want to be, they know what they want. I kind of struggled with, I know I want to share. I know I want to give, I know I want to change people's lives, but how do I do that? So Mm. for a while I thought, okay, I can help the world. I want to become a marine biologist um, or a therapist or a psychologist. I knew that I wanted to help, but I just felt that those ways were limiting. And the more that I studied this wisdom, the more I realized that this study, if it's practiced and you use the tools of Kabbalah, you really could live the life you want. You could have long-term fulfillment. You could have unconditional love. You could have um, unending happiness. It was just, it, it, there is no ending to this. And that really mm. excited me. And it still excites me, mm. um, you know, almost 30 years later. Mm. Yeah, I can resonate with what you're saying because I um, study the concept of dharma and it's it's the same. Like it's For me, it's endless and I get, get it on incrementally different levels. Like I can just keep going and keep going further and further into it and it keeps enriching and enriching my life. And I just feel like it's the thing that I came here to really embody and share. Um, so I can... Really, really exactly. resonate. Really, really resonate with what you're saying. So that's beautiful. So, how did how talk to me about? Um, obviously, you're a mother, and you now are involved in the Kabbalah Center. So, I would love to know, like, because one of the things that we talk about on Kitty Talks is how actually when we do, I would say Dharma, because that's my kind of language. But life opens up for us, and actually, there is this beautiful flow, and you do get connected to the right people, and things become more evident around what the next step is. So I'd love to understand your, you studied this practice, Kabbalah, and then how did that transition into the work you're now doing and your role with the Kabbalah Center? So the more I studied, the more time I wanted to spend um, sharing the wisdom. And, And I really, I think that's very much kind of who I am when I find something that I love, whether it's, you know, health, wellness, workout. I mean, I like to just tell everybody, uh, 
because, well, I feel so fortunate to have come across it, right? Um, and again, I think that it took, you know, I did, uh, I, I married a man who was also part of the Kabbalah Center. His parents actually co-founded the organization. And so it became our life's work together mm. and, um, and our purpose. And, and I did get involved in marketing and I was kind of, okay, well, this is how I'll reach the world. It will be through spreading the message in this kind of way. But I didn't feel quite fulfilled enough. It wasn't enough. And I had this yearning. Like I never, ever in my, da- in my life doubted um, or questioned if this was the path for me. But I did struggle with, okay, well, what's my unique way of revealing that, right? Mm. What is my ultimate purpose? Because mm. I think it takes a while, and especially for women, to step up and claim your power or um, how much you specifically as an individual can influence other people, right? We think, okay, I'll be part of something. Mm. But I don't think, at least for me in my journey, it took me a while to stop and say, um, what I can do, nobody else can do. And understand that what you can do, by the way, nobody else can do. Everybody has mm. a unique purpose in this mm. world that they are meant to reveal. So I really kind of always went back to that and say, okay, well, what's my unique purpose? And Beautiful. I always ask the question until I felt I, I started to get the answer. Um, and the big shift for me, and I write about it in my book, that my second son was born with Down syndrome. And I found out a few hours after he was born. Wow. And when that happened, it shook my life so completely. Um, and I had already been studying for many, many years. I had been married already with one child. We'd been married for, at that point, um, about five and a half years. I mean, it was well into my journey. But when that happened, it made me stop and take pause and rethink everything. Mm. Rethink what I learned, how I learned it. Because sometimes you can learn something in accordance to where you're at in your life, right? Mm. So I realized at the time Kabbalah for me was very much if I study spirituality and if I practice it, I'm safe, right? Nothing bad will ever happen to me. It was a mm. false belief system I had mm. created because again, I started studying at such a young age and so, okay, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm protected now. Mm. Um, and then I, I had a son born with Down syndrome and I thought, okay, well, there's a, there's a hole there. There's a flaw in that belief system. And there are many others that were revealed to me. I mean, um, I had shame about it at first. And I sure. remember, you know, I didn't want to run into people and, you know, I didn't want them to know. And I thought, oh my God, is this really who you are? Is this who you want to be? I mean, it was unacceptable for me. And I had so many profound epiphanies. And, um, and the more that I embraced Josh and I welcomed him and I valued what a gift it was to birth him with him having special needs in the package that he came in, um, the more I grew from it, right? And from that mm-hmm. point on, I thought, okay, I want to approach everything in my life differently. I'm alone responsible for the quality of it. I'm responsible for where it goes, how it goes. It's not part of a group because when Josh happened, it happened to me only and my Mm -hmm. husband, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody else gave birth to him. So that way that I felt about it and the things, it was mine. Now, what was I going to do with it? I needed to step up, take responsibility and direct Mm -hmm. and navigate what kind of mother I wanted to be. And then that translated to, okay, well, what kind of, person do you want to be? What kind of teacher do you want to be? And then that really led me to where I am now. That was the beginning of, of the very specific and personal journey because you can be on a spiritual journey and yeah, there can be awakenings and, and shifts of consciousness and Mm. some change, but Mm. it made me like fast forward and just push the gas. Say, you know, this is, I want this, I want it now. And I want immediate change. I want effective change. And I, I have to do that. Mm, Beautiful. And 
I think what you're describing there is so true because I think some people have this false false ideology that okay, I'm on a spiritual path and, you know, now I've kind of woken up and actually nothing can touch me and harm me. But life still happens, you know, and how we respond to the obstacles and challenges and bumps is the way I like to call them in the road is really the the us embodying our spirituality and us embodying who we are, exactly who you said, who we want to be and who we are as individuals. So, yeah, I honour you for that because it is a big growth when you have – I've got um, – my mum is uh, had nervous breakdowns and chronic depression, and that ran in our family. And and you know it, it, that was a sort of similar similar journey for me because I had to look at how I was responding to her as a daughter and my own challenges. So yeah, I think we do learn, and I think you learn so much through your growth areas, is the way I like to call them. Like I think we learn so much, and I think it does speed up our evolution if we can look for the empowering meaning when we're going through bumps as I like to call them yeah I call them um challenges challenges as opportunities Mm. it's the same exactly and if not I mean somebody asked me I was doing another interview and he said we were talking about suffering and they said well I don't I don't believe in suffering I think that that's a choice you know Mm. and things will happen in life that you don't want and it's not what you think you want, but if you, it's there's your, a gift in everything. I just don't believe in suffering. Reaction. I don't think that's why we're put on this earth. Mm. Well, it's your reaction, isn't it, to what's happening. It, you, you have that responsibility. Only you can change your reaction or your contraction to it effectively. Um, exactly. Mm. So did that inspire your first book? So obviously the experience with Josh, was that the inspiration for you to write your first book? Um, I think, again, it got me it got me thinking that I really have something to say and I'm going to say it. Yeah, and that's why I started you. writing actually. Yeah. And, and that's, that was the beginning. Um, it started with journaling again. I had journaled when I had anorexia, which I wrote about in my book also. Um, and then I had stopped for a long time. And then I realized that again, it's so healing, but it's so important. I think it's how we connect by sharing our stories and our life experiences. I mean, we're all just human beings having human experiences. And if anybody pretends that they've got it all together and on social media, it looks like, okay, this is like five minutes of perfection or three seconds or whatever out of a whole week that was miserable. Like that's all we see. And we think that everybody, that person's living a happy life and that one. But the truth is we are all struggling at times. And so, Mm. um, I really used like I said a minute ago, I don't believe in suffering. So anything that's happened to me in my life that was difficult, um, whether it was my uncle becoming schizophrenic when I was eight, which was terrifying because nobody explained that, um, or my father losing his wealth or the eating disorder or, or Josh, I really used each thing as a stepping stone to something better, to a new reality, to a new understanding, um, and to a great gift, right? So I just thought... I interview and I work with so many people and um, I actually wrote a different book first, which is coming out now. It's on relationships. And the two things that keep coming up as a theme for the people that I meet with are their struggles with relationships because they can be amazing and a great source of happiness or fulfillment. Um, or it can be the most horrible thing ever, right? Or at sometimes different things, right? It can be great mm-hmm. and then not so great. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that kept coming up was fear. Mm. And I felt like people don't really speak about this enough. They kind of live with Mm. it. They accept it as something that is part of, you know, who we are. And while we all do experience fear, we don't need to let it paralyze us. So Mm. I really felt that this was something that needed to be addressed. Um, And actually, you know, it was, 
it was actually in a car ride. I was in London and I was going to give a talk on fear. And it was a couple, it was many years ago and um, Uber was very new there. And uh, I don't know why I took an Uber. Normally I take the, the taxis are amazing in London. I mean, they know the streets and the back ways and there's so many, like it's very complicated. It's not like just, yeah. to, right. They go to school. It's, it's uh-huh. a whole thing. I'm very impressed. But for some reason, I took an Uber and we were hopelessly lost. And um, I was getting very nervous and scared that I was going to be late for my fear lecture, which is ironic. But um, in my panic, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, should I just run in my high heels? It was raining. I just, I'm like, well, I kind of knew where I was and I could get to where I needed to go. This woman was speaking on the radio and she was talking about a book that she had written on fear. And um, she in was the telling them that. In the car. Wow, on the, on the way. Wow, wow. Yeah. And she was saying that, you know, you can learn to live with your fear and learn how to manage it. And I'm thinking, no, you've got this all wrong. You shouldn't learn to live with fear. You need to eradicate fear. Mm. So I think that was really the birth of this book um, when I actually decided to write it. Beautiful. Fantastic. And I I, I, I'm, I can't wait to read it, actually, because you're, we all have it, don't we? we? Fear is something that all human beings have. So we do have to find a constructive way to work with it. So in a kind of nutshell, what's your advice for our listeners when they come up against fear? How should they approach it? There's so many tools I give in the book. I think, um, well, there's, there's three types of fear that I identify in my book. And I think that it's important for each person to do that first as the beginning step, mm-hmm. because if you identify your fear, that's, that's part of the challenge, right? So for instance, the three fears are healthy, real, and illogical. Mm-hmm. So healthy fear is healthy. It's there and it's for a greater good. It's there for a purpose. So for instance, if you're hiking and you go too close to the edge and you get scared and you you pull yourself back, Mm -hmm. it keeps us safe. Or Mm -hmm. you wouldn't put your hand too close to a flame, you could get burned. Um, One of the stories in my book that I really think illustrates this so well is um, the story of Carol Durant. Because it's this idea also, a healthy fear is that feeling in our stomach when we get the butterflies or our guts telling us that something's not quite right or in our intuition, right? When that kind of steps in, that's healthy fear as well. So Carol Durant was from Murray Hill, Utah. And she was approached by a police officer one afternoon in the park. And he said to her, um, your car's been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect and he's at the station. Could you come with me so we can see if, you know, the items he has on him belong to you? Mm. So she felt something mm, didn't mm, feel quite didn't right. Off. Yeah. She asked, yeah. She got that feeling in her stomach and she asked to see his badge, which he did show her. So she agreed to go with him in the car. So they start driving on the freeway and she realizes they're going in the opposite direction of the station. So she points it out to him. I know I'm getting the goosebumps all over again. And uh, she says to him, we're going the wrong way. And uh, she had one hand on the door handle because she, again, she was already feeling nervous about it. So he grabs her other hand while he's driving. He grabs one hand. He's trying to handcuff her Mm. and she was able to escape. So a few days later, she's reading in the newspaper that a woman got killed on that same day. And she realized that the person that took her was the same person. And that was Ted Bundy, the serial killer that we've all heard of. Yeah, And she was one of the few, like one of three that escaped. 
So wow. healthy fear, it's yeah. good. If you go to an elevator and you're like, oh, I don't feel like I should get in alone with that person mm, in there. It's your yeah. intuition as well. Honor yeah. this fear. Yeah. Right. So um, then there's real fear and that's based in reality. It's the idea that there is death, right? Fear of dying, fear of illness, fear of public speaking. It's things that actually do occur in our lives. But even with this fear, you can use it as a motivator for growth. So if you are afraid of losing your loved ones, well then spend time with them more and tell them you love them. Make sure the time you have together is quality. If you have a fear of illness, we'll take better care of your body and your health, right? So yes. again, this is a fear that is helpful. Mm -hmm. Then there's a logical fear. And this is fear that most of us kind of live in day to day. It's fear. It keeps us um, anxious, worried, frantic, panicked. It's fear of heights and elevators and airplanes and spiders. And it's even fear of failure, rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's those things that really stop us from achieving our goals or even going after them altogether, right? So this is where we can stop and say, okay, when fear comes up, first identify what it is. And then ask yourself, if I was not afraid, what would I do? And then go do that. Mm. because part of it is just challenging your fear. Instead, we feed the fear. We give it energy, mm. and then we keep it alive. Mm. So if you challenge it and say, okay, what am I – so I'm going to go and do that, well, then you're going to break the fear down. You're actually breaking it down step by step. And mm. I named the book Fear is Not an Option because when it's not an option, you need to find a different option, right? Mm. It's mm. like completely rejecting it. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love what you said about um, – change so change requires action and of course if we're fearful we're not going to take action and we're not going to change and actually I believe the gift is in the journey you know like the more we evolve the more we change the more we see things differently the more our life gets better but so people so many get people get paralyzed and stuck in the fear that they don't fulfill their potential Yes, absolutely. I often um, use this phrase that the process is the purpose, right? We, we often think, okay, if I just could get to that goal or that place, then I'm going to be happy, fulfilled, whatever it is that you are looking for. But really, it's everything we learn along the way that really becomes the purpose altogether. We just don't realize it. And that's through all of the, the process that we don't like, that's uncomfortable. But that is really ultimately um, what changes us. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to go deeper on with you is the bit. I, one of the bits I wrote down because I loved it so much and it was on your website is the more you know about who you are, what you love, what you hate, what excites you and what drives you, the closer you are to achieving what you want. So I'd love for you just to talk around that because that resonated with me so much. Well, the thing is, I think that most people um, kind of stumble through life. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of people close to me do that. And, and for me personally, it's very painful because um, you can see the potential that a, that a person has. Um, maybe they're, they don't believe in themselves or they're lacking desire. Usually it's because they think that they can't have it for whatever reason. It could be shame. It could be insecurity. It could be their past. Um, but I really want through the work that I do, especially, I want to inspire people to live the life that they want. Mm. And why not? You know, and, and exactly. Why not live your life? So if you don't love what you do, don't do it. Mm. If you love what you do, do more of it. 
if you don't know what you love, it's time to find out. I mean, mm. that's it. Live by those words. And if you do, again, every day, things like fear, there's no place in that reality because yeah. you're living the life that you want and you're standing up on your own terms saying, this is who I am. And you accept yourself. And that is that I think that that is what um, any spirituality you study, I think that's really what it's about. It's to really understand who you are and to accept mm. yourself, to love yourself, to be kind to yourself. And when you start from that place, then anything's possible because the world will mirror that for you. You'll mm. attract that in your life. Mm. And that's yeah. why I call myself a dream. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's, it's, no, not at all. I was just going to say, it's so different to what traditionally we learn, you know, when we grow up, like the, the traditional sort of schooling system is all out, outside of ourselves. It's all subjects, you know, and so you come out of that education system and you don't know who you are. You're just, you're either academic or you're sporty or you're, you have a label, but you don't understand you and what you love. And that that's, for me, is something that I'm really keen to see change in the world because I think the more we uncover ourselves, yeah. And the thing is, so, it, and the, the real flaw with that way of growing up um, is let's say that you you're academic and so getting the best job or keeping it and being successful in that is the ultimate currency and you haven't really evolved the other parts of yourself if there's any kind of failure you don't get to where you're supposed to there then where do you go there's like that, that's it that's what you're, if you're sporty and god forbid there's an accident you can't be sporty anymore then who are you you've become a title mm. you've become a label and if you can't be that anymore what if you don't want to be that anymore mm. what if you decide that that's not fulfilling anymore mm. for you then you have to start at whatever age and do this work and it's harder when you're older I mean I really try there's a part in my book that it's called seven things that I want my daughters to know mm. and it's the seven things really that I struggled through life um, understanding you know, like it, love every part of who you are you're beautiful just as you are um, when people don't accept you it really has nothing to do with you it's more about them I mean just different kinds of and, and that took years and years for mm. me to, to really accept and understand mm. um love your body because it, it it's healthy mm. you know and it allows you to do the things that you want to do in life mm. um even if it's not exactly as you want it to look right mm. so yeah i um i agree with that mm. yeah and i think you know it's interesting now isn't it because all the like um, what you're saying about leaving knowledge for your daughters, you know, all that stuff that took you and I probably 30, 40 years to work out. Like now I think it's such a gift that you can give it to people so they don't have to go through that journey because it is a journey, you know. Like it took me such a long time to – and I was, it's a daily practice for me, self-love. You know, it's not something that comes naturally to me. Like it's been a real journey for me, like I've had the opposite of you. So you were saying about anorexia, I was the opposite, very large, you know, and it's kind of, it manifests in different ways for different people. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, love is such a high level vibration and emotion. And it's so important that we do in love and accept ourselves. But yet, it's so prevalent that people don't do that. And it's not the way we're taught to grow up, you know. So I think it's beautiful that you're you're leaving your your legacy for your kids so they don't necessarily have to go through the same in, internal battle that when maybe we have i actually had the thought just the other day i mean 
in schools, they teach about, because again, I do have three teenagers <laughs> right now in the house, um, and then the youngest is five. Um, but they teach about sex education in school, they teach all these things, but they don't actually talk about when your body changes and suddenly you develop and there's hormones and, and likely you will gain some weight and different things happen and you're going to feel so different than you did the first 10, 12, 13 years of your life. Let's talk about what that feels like. That's not mm. even, that's even discussed in this. Can you imagine if we mm. started to introduce that in the schools, it would be, it would be so freeing for, mm. for the children. Mm. And um, this shame. Yeah. Well, it's especially teenage girls go through so much body shaming, don't they? They kind of, like that's the bit where they really need to be taught that actually there's lots of different shapes and sizes and all of them are beautiful you know so I, I can see that hopefully changing like you know you see it with body positivity and you know I really hope that that is something that is changing in our world and like you talked about before I think it's something that we are as women we have to support one another in as well you know it's important that we support each other because we are all completely different shapes sizes whatever. <laughs> but by the way, I mean, I, my body's gone through, I've had four children, right? Mm. Sh- different shapes and sizes. <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of who we are, right? Yeah. I mean, the, wow, our bodies can do that. We can grow little humans inside of us. <laughs> like It sounds like an alien film if it wasn't just something we know to be normal, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I really do hope to do more work um, in that area as well and, and help people who have struggled. I think, I think most people struggle with food, whether mm. it's too much food, too little food, um, body shaming and shame in general. There's, um, you know, girls, especially at a young age are given the feedback that wanting or having a desire for something is somehow wrong mm. and that you should be polite and don't ask for any, don't be too, you know, um, strong spoken, be a polite little girl. And mm. then we start to have shame for even wanting, mm. um, and I think that's really where it starts. Mm. So one thing I'd love to dive into um, before I let you go is purpose. So <laughs> um, Kitty Talks is all about empowering and inspiring people to, un- what well, I call it, uncovering your purpose. Because, you, you know, you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, my God, that's this is why I'm here on the planet. It's not, it doesn't work like that, you know. That's why I love to to talk to you about your evolution and your journey, because I think the gift is in the journey. but. I'd love to know from a Kabbalah perspective, um, how does it frame the subject of purpose? Just because I've never really investigated that. Uh, Yeah, no, it's a great question. So Kabbalah believes that we are meant to leave this world differently than how we came into it. And our purpose really is to transform. So there's many tools like transformational sharing. So it's not just teaching, sharing, for instance, it's talking about sharing in a way that's uncomfortable, that you really go outside of your comfort zone that helps you transform in some way. A lot of the teachings is about breaking down the ego, that part of ourself that um, has a desire to receive for the self alone, because we Mm -hmm. all need desire in life, right? But Mm -hmm. through the study, you want to shift that desire instead of receiving only for the self to receive for the sake of sharing. And through that evolution, the soul then um, elevates, mm-hmm. and that goes kind of into reincarnation. But but basically, it's that through each and every action that we do, um, if it's negative, we work very hard to to change the behavior that creates that action, and um, and then also just to share ridiculously. 
but really just to leave the world differently than how we came into it. Mm. So our job as souls is to evolve in this lifetime effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That is, um, and that's why we have free will, right? Because you get to choose. Mm. And um, and I always say to people, you know, like I meet many people and they're like, please don't be surprised what I'm going to tell you. I said, you know, there's nothing that surprises me anymore by what humans can do because we're all capable of anything. We all have good and evil within us. And it depends which part of us is leading. Is it our ego? Is it our soul? Mm. If our, If we're following our soul's desires, that's going to dictate a certain kind of life. If we follow our ego's desires, it's going to be a very different kind of living, right? Mm. And, um, and a person that lives in an ego-based existence um, will not really have such a fulfilled or happy life, not in the relationships, not in anything, because ego is just for the self. Mm. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. So the, is the Kabbalah's teaching more around soul-based living? Absolutely. Mm. And ev- and all the tools that are offered through the wisdom is all about that. It's how to grow your consciousness and expand it so that you can make choices from your higher self. Mm. Wow. Because we're all destined for greatness, all yes. of us. And our job really is to reveal that. And how do you reveal that? You have to chip away at the layers that we create. So every time you get angry at somebody or there's road rage or whatever it is, you're putting another layer that conceals your perfected self. So our job in this world is to peel back those layers. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Fascinating. It's really interesting because obviously I'm coming in from my kind of my look background and my training and it's, there's so many similarities and I think it's, it's definitely going to be something that I, you've inspired me to now go and look into. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> well, great. Oh, truth is truth, right? So yeah. it's going to be across the board. There'll be similarities for sure. Absolutely. Well, Monica, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I know you sharing your journey would have empowered and inspired our listeners. So I really want to thank you for coming on Kitty Talks. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Nice meeting you. Mm, And we will have all of Monica's details in the show notes. So you'll be able to connect with her on Facebook, Instagram, and obviously we'll have all the details about the book. Fear is not an option. And I'm very excited to read it myself. (laughs) Um, Great. I'm excited. Yeah. And what's the next book? Is there one more coming out? Yes. The next book is called Rethink Love. Beautiful. Rethink Love. Yeah. Everything. I want to challenge everybody to rethink everything ultimately. So rethink your relationships. um, Rethink the one you have with yourself, the one you have with your partner, where, you know, it's all about this consciousness kind of thing. And there's Kabbalistic wisdom um, and principles for each chapter that kind of set that up. Fantastic. Oh, we'll have to have you back when just before that comes out. Mm. I would love that. Thank you. Mm. But thank you once again. And we will see you next week on Kitty Talks with another amazing guest sharing their transformational life story. Bye-bye. What a lovely lady doing amazing things. She has one book out. I think she's got another coming out and she's got two more on the go. She's got four children, one with Down syndrome. And I loved what she shared in this interview. You know, she could have let her Down syndrome child define her. She could have, you know, struggled with it, but she really threw herself into her evolution. This podcast was sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. Create a life so good that you pinch yourself. 
This eight-week online course demystifies Dharma and shows you how to tune in to why you're really here. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma.